The reading is from Luke 15, verses 1 to 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that would belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and travelled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on he replied your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound then he became angry and refused to go in his father came out and began to plead with him but he answered his father listen for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Philip, many thanks for this very beautiful uh, reading and, and thanks to the lockdown choir before that. It is now time for our sermonette, which will be brought by Simon. If, we, if I could just ask people to hold off putting their thoughts in the chat until after the sermon has finished and when we will open the panel discussion. Simon. Thank you very much indeed. And yes, thank you to Philip for reading that so beautifully. In the book, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, probably the book I have read most often uh, in the course of my life. I, I've lost count of the number of times I've read through that, that trilogy of books. Uh, there is a character called Aragorn, uh, also known as Strider, who wanders Middle-earth in humble clothing, hiding his kingly origin and destiny. When Gandalf is trying to explain Aragorn's significance to the hobbit Frodo, he does so in the form of a short riddle. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Well, the point is clear. Sometimes you have to look beneath the surface to appreciate the true value of something or someone. And as we come to our consideration this morning of these three linked parables that Jesus told of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son, I want to offer a slight reframing of Gandalf's riddle for us. Instead of Tolkien's, not all those who wander are lost, I'd like to suggest that not all those who are lost 
have wandered. Not all those who are lost have wandered. So now let's turn to the first in this trilogy of parables for our reading today, the story of the lost sheep. The first rule in coming to read the parables of Jesus is to try and remove our presuppositions about them. Many of us assume, often wrongly, that we know them all perfectly well. I mean, we did them in Sunday school, didn't we? Whereas in actual fact, of course, we may have overlooked some aspect or allowed our perceptions to be formed by memories of sermons and hymns or by retellings of these stories by parents, teachers, preachers and books down the years. An example of this is the summary of the parable of the lost sheep, which forms one of the verses of H.W. Baker's beloved hymn, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. I'm sure many of you know it. It's a beautiful hymn, uh, largely based on the 23rd Psalm, but it has this verse in it. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. The author of the hymn here uh, is accurately picking up the picture from Luke's Gospel of a, a sheep on a shepherd's shoulder and the theme of rejoicing at its recovery. However, in interpreting the parable, we need to be wary because the hymn is making a, an identification between the shepherd of the parable and Jesus, the good shepherd from John chapter 10, a completely different gospel. And whilst it's not impossible that these stories can be held together, it ain't, as the Gershwin brothers famously wrote, necessarily so. But more significant, I think, than the easy yet questionable identification of the shepherd in Luke's parable with the good shepherd of John's gospel is the troubling blame that the song lays on the sheep for having got lost in the first place. The sheep, we are told, is perverse and foolish and strays oft. To which I'd want to say, not all those who are lost have wandered. Luke 15 verse 4 actually says, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? In Luke's narrative, as in the companion parable of the lost coin that follows it, it is the owner who seems to be responsible for the loss. The shepherd lost the sheep. The woman lost the coin. And this raises all kinds of interpretive difficulties if we assume that the shepherd in this parable is Jesus, the good shepherd from John's gospel. Luke's way of emphasising it puts the emphasis on the shepherd and his ownership. It makes no mention of any blame on the sheep or the sheep's folly or, or any wrongdoing at all on the part of the sheep in having found itself lost. The sheep in this parable is not a sinner. For getting lost any more than the coin has sinned by being dropped on the floor in the next parable. Further, in the hymn, the shepherd's rejoicing is extended throughout the journey home, whereas in Luke's gospel, the shepherd rejoices twice, once when he finds the sheep, and then again in the company of his friends and neighbours once he's completed the task of rescuing it. Now, I point all this out because when we come to um, deeply loved and oft preached parables such as the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons 
it can be hard to hear them with fresh ears. And yet this is what we must try to do, to hear them speaking afresh to us. So to return for my theme for this morning, not all those who are lost have wandered. These three parables of lostness need to be heard in dialogue with one another because Luke has carefully arranged them together in his gospel so that they follow each other and work together. And I think our starting point should be where Luke starts, the parable of the lost sheep. So we should resist reading backwards from the story of the lost sons to infer that the lost sheep or the lost coin were in some way culpable for their being lost. And I think we should resist reading back from John's gospel to suggest that the shepherd who loses a sheep is Jesus, the good shepherd. Rather, these parables are parables of the kingdom of God, and they speak about God by extension from the lesser to the greater. This was a well-known Jewish way of, uh, of, of having parables function. And um, so it's not that Jesus is the shepherd or Jesus is the woman. The point is, if even a careless shepherd searches until the sheep is found, if even a careless woman searches until the coin is found, how much more will God never cease in searching for that which is lost? We should resist suggestions that God absentmindedly loses people from time to time. That's not the point here. These are parables that reveal the action of God to ceaselessly search, to bring in those whom others might write off or exclude. They're about the celebration that marks the bringing home of those who have been lost. The reading was quite long enough as it stood this morning, but if, if, if I'd felt we could have gone on longer, I'd have brought in the previous chapter as well, because the chapter just before in Luke's Gospel is relevant here. It's the story of the great banquet, you know the one, where the invited guests make their excuses. I've just got married or I've just bought a cow or a field or something. And so the host invites the excluded and the marginalised, the lost, to take their places. And the controversy that Luke sets as the introduction to these three parables of lostness is also about food. If chapter 14 has the great banquet of the kingdom of God, chapter 15 begins with the scribes and the Pharisees grumbling that Jesus persists in welcoming sinners into his company and eating with them. It seems Jesus didn't just tell stories, about God's inclusive banquet. He lived it into reality, literally sharing table with those whom others would deny. And the Pharisees had a problem with this because their teaching was one which emphasized personal responsibility for maintaining one's own state of righteousness before God. Now, I don't think we should be too hard on the Pharisees here because most of us, I suspect, would want to emphasise the importance of diligent discipleship. But there's a fine line between making every effort to live rightly before God and then starting to think that one is in some way better than those who don't live 
in that same way. It's a bit like the parable of the workers in the vineyard, where the late arrivals get paid the same as those who have been working faithfully since daybreak. God's inclusion of the sinners and the outcast and the lost can feel very unfair to those who have been in or found for ages, toiling away in the vineyard of God's kingdom. So you can see why the Pharisees grumbled when Jesus persisted in eating with outsiders, claiming that this is how God's kingdom works. And in reply to their grumbling, we find Jesus giving these three parables of lostness, which simultaneously deconstruct the Pharisees' objections and expound Jesus' proclamation of the radical, inclusive, expansive nature of the kingdom of God. Which brings me to the issue of repentance. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word repent. Is it a fiery preacher shouting repent from the pulpit whilst waving a judgmental finger at your sinful thoughts and deeds? If so, you're bang in there with the Pharisees' understanding of repentance. For them, to repent was to turn from, to turn away from sin, to turn away from unfaithfulness. It was something you did to turn towards holiness, to turn away from the things that undermine righteousness. But is this what Jesus has in mind when he says, after both the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, that there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents? I don't think so, because the lost sheep and the lost coins well, they did nothing of their own volition to be found. Lost things don't find themselves any more than they lose themselves in the first place. And the key to this is to realise that repentance isn't just about turning from. It's also about turning towards. The Pharisees had turning from nailed. For them, it was all about careful, righteous living, keeping away from sin, away from temptation, away from those who were unclean, reviled and excluded. In other words, it was about what you as an individual could do. But Jesus is showing that repentance is not so much about what we do at all, as it is about what God does. We don't hear the lost sheep confessing its sin of straying, nor the lost coin confessing its sin of being dropped. They're just lost. And then they're found. And then there is much rejoicing in heaven. Through these opening two parables, Jesus invites a realisation of the driven desire of God to form relationship with those who are the lost, the least and the loveless. The Pharisees thought repentance started with an individual's actions to change themselves. But Jesus shows that it starts with God breaking through, with the one who cares enough to search and search and keep searching until the lost are found. So hear this if you are feeling lost today. God is never going to give up until you're found. And you are welcome at the table of Christ 
at the banquet of the kingdom of heaven. And if you've already secured your seat at the communion table of God's people, then hear this. It's not about you and it never was. None of us have earned our place in God's kingdom. We're here by grace alone and not because any righteousness on our part gives us a right to be here. By this understanding, repentance means not so much a turning from sin, although that may follow as sin loses its vice-like grip on our lives. Rather, repentance means being claimed by God. The turning towards God of repentance is the state of being found, being loved, being sought and being saved. And as I've said, not all those who are lost have wandered. These parables are not about the 99 sheep who remained, nor are they about the nine coins that were not lost. They're about the one who was lost and is sought and is found. And those like the Pharisees and like some of us too, need to hear that sometimes it's just not about us. There's a parallel here, of course, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Many of us will have heard someone say in the wake of Black Lives Matter that all lives matter. And of course, objectively speaking, this is true. All lives do indeed matter. But not all lives are threatened. Not all lives are marginalised and excluded. And the power of Black Lives Matter is that it highlights the injustices faced by some. And then, then, then it calls the many to be part of addressing these. I can hear the Pharisees, who are part of the 99 sheep in this parable, or the nine coins, saying, yes, but all sheep matter, or yes, but all coins matter. It's not about them. It's about the one that is lost. It's like the elder son in the final parable, angry at the, part, uh, the, at the party that greeted his returning brother. I can just hear him saying, Yes, but all sons matter. The truth is, of course, not all sons are lost. And not all those who are lost have wandered. The mechanisms for exclusion that lead to lostness are many and varied. Some certainly are the result of actions taken by an individual, as the younger son in the final parable shows, but others are a state of being. The person excluded because of their gender, ethnicity, sexuality, disability or poverty. They're not lost from society because of their sin. Rather here it is the sin of others that has pushed them to the margins, pushed them out of the crowd. And there will be rejoicing in heaven when they're found. When they're able to take their rightful place at the banquet table of the kingdom of God. Jesus' actions in sitting and eating with the lost of his world, which so upset the Pharisees of his day, were a prophetic enactment of the nature of the kingdom of God, where all are invited to the table without exclusion or exception. And there's a warning here for those expressions of Christian identity that are predicated on an ideological or theological construction of a group that we can then call other, against whose so-called sinfulness we can measure ourselves as righteous. The lost sheep wasn't a sinner, but I bet some of the sheep who were not lost said that they were. There's also good news here, of course, for all those who feel lost, excluded, marginalised or oppressed. 
And this is that God, like the shepherd and like the woman in the parables, seeks and searches and hunts and never gives up until all those who are lost have been found. And there's also a challenge for us all to realise, whoever we are, that really we too are lost until we're found. This is not a once only state of being. We need to be found, all of us, again and found again. The younger son was lost before he left home, while the elder son was lost even though he remained at home. And the younger son was found long before he eventually made his way home. In the story of the two sons, this is not a story about finding yourself. It is, of course, another story about being found. And it's the story of a compassionate father who loves both of his children equally in their lostness never giving up on them, never writing them out of his family. And so this morning, as we come to our own expression of the great banquet of the kingdom of God, gathering around the Lord's table to celebrate communion together, we do so rejoicing that each of us, whoever we are, is invited to the table of the Lord. Bloomsbury has always famously been an open table church from its very founding, and it is with great joy that we continue to extend the welcome of God to all those who find themselves at the table of the Lord. Uh, welcome, uh, Philip, Duncan, and and Solomon, for this uh, for this discussion. Who would like to start sharing some reflections? Well, I'll start by um, appreciating Simon's. Uh, drawing these connections between these three stories because I must admit I hadn't realized that they formed a sequence and a single theme and I thought that that sentence that Simon said that sometimes people are lost as a result of their own actions like the prodigal son but sometimes they're lost as a result of things that have nothing to do with their own decisions like the coin that's accidentally dropped onto the floor was an interesting one and I think it kind of reveals attention too because uh, in a sense that for me this does this raises another another dilemma which is to some extent the prodigal son needs to acknowledge that he's made mistakes and then ask for help and that is how the process of change and improvement in his situation comes around it is taking a sort of personal responsibility isn't it um and yet in the other situations it's almost as though well, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin don't need to do anything it's not that it's not their fault that they were dropped on the floor. Something else externally will come along and make the change that they're found and restored to the rest of the flock. So it seems to me as though there's a kind of, there's almost a contradiction in ideas there, which I don't think was quite resolved by the sermon because perhaps they're presenting a dilemma deliberately. And maybe, maybe that's the point. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure I've, I've finished thinking this through. Uh, <clears throat> I think there are, in, uh, Duncan, indeed many dilemmas um, here. Um, there are so many descriptors of our Lord in, in Scripture, the light of the world, the door, the gatekeeper, and uh, the shepherd one, I think, um, is a dominating one. 
um, I think we can uh, forget sometimes that some of the, the great figures from the Old Testament were all shepherds. Moses, David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are all shepherds. And to some extent, they're all very, very flawed characters. And I think here we see that Jesus was not just a shepherd or even a good shepherd, but in fact, combining this with the verses you know, that Simon alluded to in John, the good shepherd. And it's, I think, a very important definite article there. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, in human terms, I mean, it seemed to be quite extraordinary that somebody would be prepared to die for a sheep. But we, this is the, obviously, the, the, in gospel terms, uh, this is very, very real. Um, and I was quite fascinated to um, uh, also hear Simon talking about the grace alone. He said, we are here by grace alone and not because of any righteousness on our part. And this is one of the, the great, um, isn't it, solas, three solas of the the Ref Reformation, saved by grace, scriptura fide, the, the faith, scripture and faith, and deriving from this verse, verse in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I think all of these things refer to this, as Simon said before, searchingness, the seeking, searching, gifting, uh, God as being the great motivator. And I think uh, gifting and uh, uh, giving this gift, gifting is a very contemporary verb. Um, and I think it's a very useful one. And Simon also referred to God breaking through. In other words, as that great unexpected visitor. With a, quickly, with regard to the, to the lost son, um, I think we can all identify with these three characters. Um, and probably on occasions we, we've felt very much of the position which each of them have been in, perhaps the bereaving or grieving father, um, showing resentment from one of the sons, perhaps a bit of jealousy on our part or something, um, and being unforgiving. And I think there is a case can be made for perhaps two uh, prodigal sons, that both of them were prodigal in different ways. And perhaps, I don't know, we emphasize one more than the other. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the great lessons here, I think, is that God the Father is always willing to accept us back. And I think that is a great reassurance. Uh, God seeks sinners and rejoices when they are found. Um, each time I've been on here, I seem to end up quoting something from Handel's Messiah rather than the text of. And because this is sheep, <laughs> uh, I can't help thinking, uh, going back to when we looked earlier before, some time ago at Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. And again, this puts us into the contentious issue that we, that Duncan referred to before. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and that sentence is followed by a but, and I think it's, it's obviously one of the great buts of history, which is the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity or punishment of us all. And that one verse, I think, in Isaiah 53 encapsulates the whole Bible in one single verse. All we like sheep have gone astray, 
but uh, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his all. It's the whole story in one verse. And I wonder sometimes why it's not written over pulpits and things in churches or these wayside pulpits. Um, and lastly, uh, I was just talking to a neighbour, a young teacher, uh, this week, social distancing, of course, and we were talking about how education is changing, and she was, and I referred to the three R's, and we were going on, and suddenly it, I realised she didn't know what on earth I was talking about. She didn't know what the three R's meant, so that shows, you know, how much of an antique uh, I seem to be these days in uh, you know, education speak. Um, so anybody under 30 probably is listening to this now. Um, the, the three R's, reading, writing and arithmetic. But of course, um, th th this, these verses, this chapter, there's so much in them. And to sum up, for me anyway, uh, after repentance, I thought of another three R's. And the three R's to me were restoration, reconciliation, and out of those, rejoicing. Nicely done there, Philip. Solomon. Yes, thank you, uh, Jean-Marc. Um, there's two things that really stood out for me in, in, in the parables. Um, you know, I think, you know, you got different interpretations of, you know, to put the stories into context. But um, what stood out for me most were um, humility and forgiveness. And um, when you try to examine um, what uh, the prodigal son must have said to his father, you know, uh, that accountability, that, that humbleness, you know, come back to his father recognize his mistake. I think that was striking for me. And the way his, he was received uh, um, by his father and um, that acceptance, uh, I, I think it just explains how God wants us to, to be humble and, 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 and repent and bring ourselves down and say, Lord, I've done this, but Forgive me, and all of our imperfection is just laid bare in the prodigal son. So uh, those two words just uh, stood out for me most uh, in the sermonette today. Thank you, Solomon. Indeed, I, I have uh, found this, uh, you know, fresh look at this uh, parable uh, extremely. Uh, interesting. It's I found it difficult always to step away from judgment and step away from the moral high ground we sometimes feel. You know, we we own. Uh, very, very, very much agree with you, Solomon. This is about humility. We are we are all lost, and we can all find and offer love to to others who are who are lost. So there's this duality, both individually and, uh, and as a church. And I think we can identify with, with both roles. I mean, uh, some in the chat, uh, there's a comment by Fifi there, uh, identifying uh, 
herself with uh, with uh, being being lost. Um, there's another comment saying, you know, we maybe can uh, connect the shepherd here, not necessarily with Jesus, the God, uh, the good shepherd, but the shepherds in Luke who follow the angels' call for the Christ child. And uh, I think we we are alternating in 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 being in in both these roles and. I think uh, it's a, it's a calling for us and 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 for for the church uh, uh, itself. I'm conscious of time, and it's a, a communion service today. And I think we will have to close this panel uh, already. Thank you very much, uh, all three of you who contributed. Thank you very much to those who shared uh, comments in the chat. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the invitation to your banquet. We thank you that the places are set for everyone and no one is excluded. We come together this morning because you've called us here. You found us when we were lost and lacking direction and purpose, and you present us with a warm welcome. We praise you for this opportunity to turn towards you and towards each other. Most of us here have something planned for lunch and enough food to get us through the week. So we give you thanks for the people in our society who ensure that there's food on our tables. We thank you for the food producers, the grocers, the delivery drivers and the key workers. And in this fair trade fortnight, we reflect again on the complex supply chains behind our fruit, vegetables, sauces and drinks. We pray for justice for those at the sharp end of production, especially for subsistence farmers in low-income situations in developing countries and for the families which depend on them. In our own lives, we give you thanks for the people who are cooking with us and eating with us and doing the washing up with us. We thank you for the people with whom we're spending time during lockdown, be it our own families or family-like communities formed around common experiences. We pray for families who still cannot meet in the usual way at the moment because of the pandemic or for other reasons. And we pray especially for people who are on their own or lonely or who've gone off their food because they're depressed. We pray also for those who are eating or drinking too much to comfort themselves during this stressful time. We think of all those who feel lost. We give you thanks for our church family. We thank you for the opportunity to come back to see each other week after week online, even though physically we're staying put. And we think of those who are caring for members of their family who are sick or frail, recognising the particular difficulties that they face at the moment as the lockdown continues. And we remember those who are grieving the loss of a family member, just as we as a church family continue to grieve the recent loss of, our, loss of some of our friends. Lord, we ask your blessing on our world at this time of disease and economic and political uncertainty. May your spirit inspire those who are working towards solutions. And as we go about our lives this week, help us to see ourselves more fully as part of a loving family, welcomed by you to share at the table. In Jesus' name, amen.
And now for our blessing. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord smile upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord show his favor to us and give us peace. Amen. <laughs>